0: Amen. Well, there was, back in 2012, an extensive study done by Lifeway Research that asked, I think I've referred to this study before, it asked about 3,000 churchgoers about different aspects of discipleship. I referred to this study because it's really helpful. And they talked about and asked people about these various aspects of discipleship and how they were doing, what was their strengths and weaknesses. And guess what was the weakest area of discipleship, according to these nearly 3,000 churchgoers? Well, it was evangelism. Evangelism, that is, sharing the good news about Jesus Christ to those who need to hear the message. And the findings of the survey, though, were kind of interesting in what they pointed out. According to the survey, it said... 80% 80% agreed they have a responsibility to share the gospel with non-Christians. 75 feel comfortable doing so. Yet, 61% have not shared the gospel with anyone in the last six months. And 48% have not invited someone to church, even, in the past six months. So friends, 60% of us are not sharing our faith. And almost 50% of us are not even inviting people to church. That is a huge weakness, would you not agree? But yet as the survey, as I pointed out, the survey says there, we feel comfortable in doing so. So it's not really a question of training. And I think that makes sense because really, if you know Christ as your Savior, you really know all you need to know to share it with someone else. If you've become a Christian, you can share how that has happened in your life. We are just simply not making evangelism a priority in our lives. But friends, we must do so. Evangelism is an essential area of discipleship i know that it is challenging but it's something that we cannot neglect and i hope today's message will convict us but also motivate us to really start making evangelism something that is more central to our lives making it a priority to see the impact that it has on other people around us but also the essential aspect of evangelism in our own spiritual growth, our own discipleship. We cannot be complete disciples, full disciples, if this gaping hole is there in our lives. And we're going to see why evangelism is important for our own spiritual growth here this morning. So I hope i all have your ears perked up and ready to listen today, because this is something that is very vital the life of the church. Now we're concluding today our series on discipleship essentials. This is the past five or six weeks or so we've devoted to this series, been talking about the essentials of discipleship, and we called it this because Jesus, what does he call his followers? He calls us disciples, those who are trying to become like Christ in our character and our conduct. We saw that in Romans 8, that's why we've been set aside before the foundation of the world, is to become like Jesus Christ, to become disciples of him. And that's our mission, supreme mission as a church. The Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. And it's not just a privatized thing, our own little individual pursuit. That's part of it. But also, we are to make disciples of others around us. And as we make disciples, we actually grow as disciples ourselves, don't we? You say, well, how do we go about it? Well, the New Testament gives us five essential areas of discipleship. We've looked at Scripture, worship, fellowship, and service. And again, today, we're going to go and look at evangelism and see why this is an essential part of discipleship. Now, as we've done with the other areas, I want to start with Jesus. Start with Jesus. If we're trying to become like Jesus, how did Jesus view evangelism sharing the good news in his own life? Well, evangelism was essential in the life of Jesus. He went around announcing the gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God had arrived, and its transforming power was going to impact individuals, it was going to impact towns and villages, it was going to impact the world. And from the outset, this was Jesus' mission. He says, or it says in Mark chapter 1. Uh, verses 14 and 15, when it begins his ministry, it says, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And everywhere Jesus went, he preached the gospel. It says in Matthew 9.35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus went around, he preached to the crowds, he preached In the cities, he preached in the villages, he shared the gospel with individuals. And so, he would pull these individuals aside and he would share with a religious leader like Nicodemus, who was this prestigious person, but he still needed to hear about Jesus. He would share with someone who was the outcast of society, like a Zacchaeus, about the good news that he was bringing. Jesus, friends, felt a compulsion to share the gospel. In Luke 4.43, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. This was his mission, was to declare the gospel. And I thought it would be helpful to see Jesus in action. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Page 889, if you use one of the Bibles in front of you. So here in this passage, you guys might be familiar with it, but Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Of course, this all happened because Jesus and his disciples were traveling from the region of Judea to Galilee. They passed through Samaria. They decided to stop for a break. The disciples went to buy some food while Jesus remained there. And while he was sitting, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus asked the woman for a cup of water from the well, and she was shocked. Why was she shocked? Well, because Jews had no dealings with uh, the, the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile, and the Jews of Jesus' day despised them. But Jesus says to her that if you knew who it was that was asking you for this water, you would understand. And He would give you living water. And so she says that she didn't understand and she questioned Him about this living water. But then in verse 14, Jesus explains what He's talking about. He says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman says, Yeah, I'd like some of that water. Not exactly in those words. Paraphrase. But Jesus, interestingly, you know what he does? He responds by saying, Go tell your... Husband to come here he knew her situation even though he never met her before she'd been married five times and now was living with a man out of marriage outside of marriage Jesus knew her situation and he reveals her sin he knew that not only must there be a desire to have this living water but one must realize that one is spiritually thirsty that there is sin that needs to be forgiven, and that one is coming to the Savior realizing what He is about. And so this, this conversation continued, and then the woman brings up the Messiah, and Jesus tells her that He indeed is the Messiah. Well, she departs from Jesus and tells others about Him. And then the disciples show up on the scene, and they urge Jesus to eat. And Jesus tells them, though, He has a different kind of food. He says in verse 34, My food is to do the will of Him who sent Me and to accomplish His work. Did you get that? That's what is the food of Jesus, is to do the will of God. And we see here in this passage that the will of God for Him was to tell this woman about the good news of who He was. Now at this point, the shift scenes to the other Samaritans. In verse 39 to 42, if you follow with me, it says about them, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Friends, this is a simple but remarkable story of Jesus doing evangelism, of sharing the good news, and sharing about the need for forgiveness, and sharing that He is indeed the Savior of the world. And friends, this story is shared, not just so that we see that Jesus did evangelism, but I believe it is also shared so that we see that this is also expected of the disciples of Jesus. Because you see in verse 35 these words. Jesus said to them, Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. What Jesus is saying is that, look, For the disciples, the harvest of souls was all around them. And look who he's talking to. He's talking about the Samaritans, who there would have been this natural animosity toward. But the principle is, if you will share, there will be a harvest. It doesn't say how much. It doesn't say how little. But the principle holds that the harvest will be there. And I think this principle holds true for us. The harvest is waiting for the church if we will focus on the will of God as Jesus did. Amen? And this leads to my second point. Evangelism and discipleship. So how does evangelism make us like Jesus, right? We know that it has this outward impact. We know that it can lead to a harvest. But this whole series is like, discussing how do we become like Christ. And you say, well, how does evangelism then make us like Jesus? Well, obviously it's a matter of obedience in one sense, just that we are going out and doing what God has called us to do. And we know that conforms us to the image of Jesus. But here's two specific ways that evangelism makes us like Jesus. I want you to listen to this. First of all, evangelism deepens our affection and our allegiance to Jesus. Evangelism deepens our affection and our allegiance to Jesus we must be willing to align ourselves with who Jesus is his mission his kingdom that he is ushering in and to let others others know about that friends it's part of forming your identity around who Jesus is and yes our willingness to speak of Jesus impacts our love for him If we speak of Jesus to others, our love deepens. If we deny Jesus by our silence, our love weakens. Friends, that's just how God has made us. You look at any type of relationship, whether it's a husband, wife, parent, child, friendship or whatever, if there's no sort of declaration or statement of your affection, of your allegiance for that particular person, that bond, that relationship, gets weakened. Just on a real practical level. Have you ever heard the acronym DTR? Define the relationship? This happens when two people are hanging around each other. They might develop feelings for one another, and there, there's this sort of question about, is this man and this woman? are they going to become an item? But as of yet, there's been no DTR. There's been no defining of the relationship. It's just kind of this amorphous thing. What needs to happen? You need to define the relationship, don't you? Because when you do, then your affection, then your allegiance is going to grow. But if you stay in just sort of that amorphous relationship, what's going to happen? Eventually nothing's going to happen. It's going to weaken the relationship and the same holds true for jesus we can't live ashamed of jesus by our silence and not have it affect our relationship with him it's going to cool our love for him and jesus gives strong warnings about being ashamed of who he is in our lives he says in Mark 8:38 Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man be also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels I think there's a real need for Christians to define their relationship to Christ with the world And when we tell Jesus tell the world about Jesus it deepens our love for him I truly believe this from the bottom of my heart, that one of the best ways to grow as a disciple is to regularly share your faith. Many times I have seen people who maybe aren't really accustomed to sharing their faith and they go out and they share their faith and all of a sudden they have a newfound love and zeal for Jesus. That's why you see people come back from a mission trip or come back from an outreach and all of a sudden, they're on fire for Jesus. You say, well, what happened? More than likely, it's not because they learned something new in the Bible. That can be good for your spiritual growth, absolutely. But on these kind of things, that's not usually what took place. What took place is they got out and they started declaring who Jesus is in their lives. And it set them on fire. Friends, we can know the Bible inside and out. But yet, if we're not telling others about Jesus, your love will diminish. You can be serving in the church whenever there's an opportunity. And we need that. We talked about that last week, right? We need service. But if you're not telling non-Christians about Jesus, your love will weaken I've been trying to get this point across in this whole series that discipleship is holistic. It's not just one thing, but it's all of this stuff together. And so we need to be feeding our minds Scripture so that we become and develop the mind of Christ. We need to worship God with our hearts when we gather here on a Sunday morning. Our hands need to be busy serving needs around us. But our mouth also needs to declare who Jesus is in our lives. That is discipleship. And we give a word of exhortation. If if we're not making discipleship, excuse me, evangelism a priority in our lives, I would urge each of us to just do business with God today. And say, you know what, Lord? I am in that 60% boat. And I need to repent of that. I need to stop doing that. To see that this is displeasing you and make it a priority. And start thinking about the people in our lives that we rub shoulders with our friends and our family members, our neighbors and our classmates and think how can we share the gospel with them? How can we make this a priority? Is there someone in the next couple of weeks that I can maybe schedule a a time when I can sit and have breakfast with them? Get to know them and pray that God would open their hearts and also pray that God would open our mouths. To go out and have a cup of coffee. Take a walk with them. To make this something that is a priority. To have a neighbor over for dinner. To go do something with them. Try to initiate contact. Think about people in our, in our lives that we can just, even on a sort of easier way, that we're just more intentional making this a priority. It's very easy just to leave a tract at a restaurant, isn't it? Right? You go out to eat, leave a track. Make sure you leave a good tip. Don't leave a track if you're not going to leave a tip, right? <laughs> just leave, it, leave a track. You never know what God will do with that. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, man, I just, just, I'm just, I can't do this. Yes, you can by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the influence of God's people. I really think evangelism is something that it is helpful to be around other people who are one step further along than you, and you can go out and be emboldened and be inspired. That's why we try to have things here at the church. Love to have more people coming out when we do our monthly advance outreaches. And we do a variety of things so that folks can get out and get used to serving and telling others to hang around folks. I love being around Mark Galette because he's just always talking about evangelism. And it motivates and reminds me and inspires me that this is important in my life too. Don't lose sight of the main thing. I love walking in and see Russ Andrew and he's got a, tra- or a pocket and it's stuffed full of tracks. Because when he goes out, he wants to have opportunities to share what God is doing in the world. Rub shoulders. Don't give up. Don't just say, I can't do this. Come alongside other Christians and rub shoulders and see what God will do. So evangelism deepens our affections and our allegiance to Jesus. The second way evangelism, I think, makes us like Jesus is that it gives us a heart for the world. Friends, if we're going to become like Jesus, we need to have His heart. And His heart is for the world. He wants the Gospel to spread to the ends of the earth. Right? Isn't that what He tells us in the Great Commission? That we're to make disciples of all nations? All nations, he wants all peoples, both Jews and Gentiles. Yes, during his ministry, he focused primarily on the Jewish people because that was foretold in the Old Testament. The Messiah was going to be the Savior for the Jews. But it was through the Jews that then they would go and launch it out to the ends of the earth. It was always a kingdom worldwide focus. We saw how he shared with the Samaritan woman. Jesus has a heart for the Gentiles, for the whole world to come to know. Luke 24:46, he says, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That's what we're supposed to be about. All nations and we know in the book of Revelation it tells us that when all people are standing before Christ one day it is people from all nations so the mission is going to be accomplished but God wants his church to be involved in this and to grow as disciples we have to have a heart for the world don't we our heart just can't be limited to our area or our state or even our nation which I love dearly we prayed about just a little while ago we love this nation but do you know how much what percentage of the world's population the United States comprises? 4.4% of the world's population. We want all of God's heart. Not just 4.4%, right? We want to be global Christians. Global Christians. You say, well, how can we grow in that? Well, thankfully, we live in a day of great resources. Great resources. And here's the best resource that I know of. It's the book called Pray for the World. Pray for the World. It's a condensed version of Operation World, which was a much larger, comprehensive description of all the nations in the world and how you can be praying for them. So thankfully, this book is a, little, a lot smaller and gives you a brief snapshot of every country in the world. It tells you about its economics and pol- politics and its population and its religious makeup. Then it gives a handful of updates and prayer requests for every country. Every nation is in here. Most nations get around a page, but of course, larger nations like China and India get much more coverage. Let me just tell you, I prayed through this book last year. and I'm doing it in, again this year. And it is such a blessing. And it helps me to pray prayers that go beyond just generic prayers. Lord, we just pray Your will be done in China. We pray You'd bless missionaries in Africa. It really helps you to understand what God is doing and to grow your heart for what He's doing. To know what the difficulties are of Christians in other nations that are experiencing hardship and persecution and how you can come alongside them and pray for them. It's encouraging to read about the Gospel spreading around the world when it, you get sometimes discouraged by looking at the plateaued status of Christianity in America to look and see, man, God is doing great things in our, around our world. For example, the two largest nations in the world, China and India, do you know what the fastest growing religion is in those countries? Christianity and it's growing like wildfire I need to hear that sometimes you know or do you know that evangelical Christianity grows at a faster rate than any world religion we need those reminders of God's providence and God's working and God's heart for the nations I'd love to see some people order this book we're gonna put it out on the welcome center after church and just have a sign-up sheet If you'd like to purchase one, just write your name down. We'll have it for you next week. And uh, I guarantee it'll bless you as you develop a heart for the nations as we try to grow like Christ. Let me just give three points of application as we close out here this morning. The first is this. Believe in Jesus. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, just for a second, I want you to go back to the encounter Jesus had with the woman at the well. Samaritan woman this woman met Jesus she was burdened with her sin she was burdened with her sin and she was looking for something to fill her heart wasn't she for this woman it was the relationships that she was going through and Jesus lovingly pinpointed her sin and he showed her her need for forgiveness And that's essential in coming to know Jesus. Have you ever reached that place of realizing that your your sin is something that needs to be forgiven by God? That it offends Him because He's perfectly holy and just? Now there are sins that sometimes we'll just readily acknowledge. Maybe we're our fits of anger, our lust, our pride, our greed, things like that. But then there's also things that we don't want to acknowledge that maybe that we're not very proud of, that we're embarrassed of, like this woman. She didn't really want to talk to Jesus about this. But Jesus went back to that issue because he knew that she, did, she needed to acknowledge what was wrong in her life and that she needed to come clean with Jesus. Has that ever happened in your life where you realize, Lord, I've sinned and fall short of your perfect standard. And I need your grace and forgiveness. And then Jesus, as he so does so well, he's so gracious and kind to her, and he tells her about this living water. She's running around Thirsting after something that will never satisfy her. And we all do this, whether it's relationships or career or money or whatever. We're thirsting for something and we're drinking things that don't satisfy. And Jesus tells her, I am the living water. I am the one who will satisfy you. I am the Messiah. I offer you forgiveness of sins. I offer you eternal life. I offer you hope that will never run out. You will never thirst. Jesus is the answer that you're looking for today. Let me encourage you to follow the example of the Samaritan woman, to acknowledge your sin before Jesus, but also to believe in him, that he is the one you're looking for. So believe in Jesus. And second, tell others about Jesus. Like the Samaritan woman, tell others. Friends, we underestimate the power of our testimony. This woman was an outcast in her village and yet she went back and started telling people and the crowd started going out to Jesus. That may or may not happen, but friends, you can guarantee that there will be people in your life who are interested in hearing your story and how Jesus has transformed us. And I think we underestimate how many people around us will be interested in our lives. There was another survey done by uh, LifeWave before this where they interviewed 1,400 people who had not been to a religious service in six months, whether it was a church, a mosque, or a synagogue. So these were folks who weren't very religious. And they asked them a series of questions. And listen to this, 78% said they would be willing to listen to someone who wanted to share what they believed about Christianity. Did you hear that? 78% 78% of your neighbors who really have nothing to do with religion, they actually are interested in what you have to say. If you'll respect them and approach them kindly and humbly, they want to hear what you have to say. Does that kind of change how you view things? And on a practical note, what will that do in your own life as we just discussed? It's just going to deepen your love and affection and allegiance to Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. And just on a practical note, I don't bring this up as much as I should, but baptism is a powerful declaration of your faith in Jesus. It doesn't make you a Christian, but it is your public testimony of saying, I am a disciple of Jesus. That's never happened. Let me encourage you to follow through with that, where you are here to tell the world, I am a disciple of Jesus. And then lastly, let me throw this one out. Strive for complete discipleship. Through this series, I've been trying to make the point that full discipleship, complete discipleship, means that we grow in all of these areas. Scripture, worship, fellowship, service, and evangelism. We can't neglect certain areas. Friends, the very areas that we neglect are the very areas that God wants us to grow in. And we need this is another key point. We need each other as we're trying to grow and complete discipleship. We need the help of others. We need others who will help teach us the Scriptures. We need others who will model and inspire us to grow in certain areas And as we fellowship. Whatever it is, we need each other. This is a team effort. And as you disciple others, as we keep saying, you will grow in discipleship yourself. As a follow-up, I made a list there Hopefully it's in your bulletin of diagnostic questions for us to consider and implement. I don't want to just let this series go. I want us to really think about it, and I want you to take this home and pray about it. These are the five things that we've discussed here to look over. These are just some sample questions about how we can grow in these five areas. And then on July 13th, we're going to come and have a day of fasting and prayer. We're going to actually preach about fasting next week. But that day, we're going to have a day of fasting and prayer. We're going to pray and fast about other things like evangelism and, or you know VBS, things that are coming up, concerns in our church life and so forth. But one of these areas that we're going to fast and pray about is discipleship. I want us to examine our hearts to see where we have fallen short and realize the gravity of our sin. You know, it hit me just thinking about this, Kind of, I don't know if it was last night or this morning, just how... Short I fall in these areas. How short I fall in these areas. I might have things that I'm stronger than in others, but I fall short in all of these areas. How about you? And my prayer is that we wouldn't just say, well, that's just the way it is. I'm just always going to be this way. I don't see that attitude in Scripture. Rather, what I do see is that we're to strive and to labor and to chase after Christ with every ounce of our being trying to become whom we were chosen before the foundation of the world to become like. God has given us this great, mighty, high calling of becoming like Jesus Christ. May it draw out of us the greatest effort and focus and love and devotion that we can possibly muster to fulfill this great calling that Jesus has given us to strive for complete discipleship. Let us pray.